0: Any of us who've been in it for long enough, our entire career has been littered with jobs that we didn't get, projects that we thought were gonna go for sure, dozens of unproduced scripts littering the floor. All of us are
1: running into both major and minor failures in Hollywood every single day.
0: For every success, there is months, sometimes even years of painful failure. This is one of the only businesses I can think of where failure is the default, that's the norm. You have to be able to persevere.
1: Like everything in our business, your hands get callous it all bounces off you. Uh, You know, that process takes years, that doesn't happen overnight. I was being told by my manager,
0: it's yours to lose. And I promptly lost it. (laughs) And I remember thinking like, well, that's it for me. I blew my one big shot. What I've realized from that moment is it's never one big shot. There will be other shots. Welcome back to Screaming Into the Hollywood Abyss, a podcast about rejection, failure and adversity in the entertainment industry. As ever, I am your non-entertainment co-host, Englishman Dan Rutstein. Welcome, Noah. How are you? Good. I,
1: I, you're an Englishman. I'm finally fi- learning that. That's a really good piece of trivia for all of our <laughs> people out there. Uh, I am not an Englishman. But today I'm very excited to introduce the noted TV writer, producer and showrunner, Joseph Malazzi. On top of writing over hundreds of On top of writing over 120 hours of television across no less than 25 TV shows, he also co-wrote over 75 episodes of Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe first, before eventually becoming the executive producer of all three. He was also the co-creator and showrunner of Dark Matter. More recently, he developed and was the showrunner of Utopia Falls on Hulu. Welcome, Jeff.
0: Thanks
2: for
1: having me.
0: So, uh, I don't normally describe myself as English, but when we have a Canadian based guest and an Englishman, it's just important. So the guest, the the, the listeners will hear two out of three of us using our grammar correctly uh, and being polite. So let's start. So obviously this is a rejection failure and adversity podcast, but you've had over 120 hours of television made. So, even though you've been in the industry for a long time, that doesn't leave a lot of room for long, fallow periods of rejection and unemployment. So um, tell us about the gaps. Well, um, you know, at the beginning of my career, there were very few
2: gaps. And I was very proud of the fact, in fact, my when we were on Stargate, it's, it's funny, I, I started my career in animation, went straight into Live action teen sitcoms and then into one hour dramas, and then was very lucky to land on Stargate fairly early. And uh, we were told it was going to be a two year gig. Once SGU unwrapped its fifth season, we would be done. And of course, that two year gig ended up turning into like a 12 season, 17 year ride. Um, That finally, and we actually did a, a show after that that will remain nameless. That was one of the worst experiences of my life. Uh, and then I was in development for a while and and kind of I learned the the frustrations of being in development which which i mean it's 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 you know it's it's like uh you're both sinking uh in in the darkness and you're treading water and you don't know how long you've been treading water you don't know how far you are from shore, but you just gotta keep treading water and um you, you know i I tend to sort of juggle as many projects as possible, and I just was very fortunate. Um to land my original series, Dark Matter, uh, on uh Netflix and, and Sci-Fi. And, and that was great. And then there were a couple of years where once again I was riding the development merry-go-round and and I ended up on a show called Utopia Falls, which was not my creation, and which to be to be quite frank, I, I didn't think was right for me. But uh, through a series of kind of bizarre Circumstances I ended up show running, it was a lot of fun. I actually used my old dark matter crew. Uh, and then, uh, since I delivered the final episode of uh, Utopia Falls, which was December of 2019, I've been in uh, an extended development, uh, period. And I mean, in this business, you're only as good as your last show, and my last show was back in 2019. And, and you know, because of the pandemic, I ended up maybe taking on a little more work than I usually do in 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 development. And so um, I've been very busy, which has been great. Uh, however, it would be nice to get back into production, I would say.
0: Obviously, there's a lot of people who've spent a couple of years in development, either in one go or mm-hmm. obviously spread out. Because you sort of hit the jackpot in terms of longevity quite early, are you a... Are you quite impatient around this process because you just want to get back to another 17 years of show? Uh, Well, it's very kind of you to
2: say that basically, uh, 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 calling me fairly young. uh, I think actually I I got started in the the business probably in my early thirties, which uh, I guess I wouldn't consider young for industry standards, but uh, I I think I'm generally an impatient individual. So uh, yes, which is why I tend to take on more work than than uh, I really should. Uh, but again, I said, like as I said in, in in this business, you never know what's going to land, and more often than not, it's the project you least expect to go that ends up getting that green light. So you want to have your bases covered.
1: I have a question. I was looking at your. Um your IMDB. And you mentioned this a second ago as well, that you shifted from uh, children's programming and young adult programming to the Stargate universe. And I know a lot of people have problems doing that. You made it sound fairly easy and routine, but I know a ton of writers who've gotten siloed and stuck to some degree in animation and and they want to come out into live action and, for, and sometimes people are live action want to go over to animation. There's been a, it's very hard to cross over between the two. How did you do that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I understand that. And maybe I do writers a disservice because one of the recommendations I always make to new and upcoming writers is to try to get their foot in the door in animation. I mean, write that pilot, write that spec, uh, but look to animation because they tend to be more welcoming of new writers and, it allows you to hone your craft while getting paid. Uh, so, I mean, I I remember I, I um, my first uh, sale was to, um, a, and I made a series called The Busy World of Richard Scary, An episode called Patrick Pig Learns to Talk, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with, uh, has all of the hallmark uh, uh, elements in a Joseph Malazzi script, the twists, the turns, uh, the character drama, uh, and and. Uh, you know, it, it, that came about because I was interested in in obviously, uh, you know, w- w- as a live action writer, the brass ring is features and I wanted to be a feature writer. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try to get my foot in the door in one of the uh, productions company as as a uh, script reader who does coverage. And I ended up sending my resume out to like over 100 different production companies. And uh, I think eight responded and seven said thanks, but no thanks. But one responded and said hey we're not really looking for a script reader but if you're interested in writing for animation this is what we do we send you the bible you send us some pitches if we like your idea we'll hire you to write the script and so that's how i entered the business and i i remember i made something like three thousand dollars in my first year and i was like holy shit i have made it three thousand dollars it would be great if i could double that next year and then i did and i was like wow six thousand dollars i mean uh you know, I wonder if I can double that next year and then I did and, and you know that was kind of always a a, uh, a goal for me um, and so I mean I, I started in animation and then I kind of worked my way up within the world of animation uh, I um, started simply as, as a writer and then I story edited uh, certain series I, I, I was a story editor for for um, the CBS Saturday morning lineup um, I ended up being hired by an animation studio to develop shows in, for in-house development. Uh, and, um, and then, you know, I heard that there was a Fox show. It was a YA series called Student Bodies that they were looking for for writers. And my writing, um, our future writing partner and I uh, submitted some writing samples. And then we landed on that YA show and, and we were on the YA show. But at the same time, I was continuing my animation, uh, my story editing and animation and ultimately, we landed on Stargate. Right? Like I made all like I mean I, I you know I from, from half hour um, teen sitcoms we ended in up in one hour action drama. Again, it helps to have an agent. Um, I know sort of a lot of people are like ah, you know so the you know I, my agent never gets me work and that's true for the most part. But very early in my, in my career, my agent did find me work. Did actually at, at the very least introduce me to the people who were looking to hire. Writers and um, and so I, I, I did. I don't even remember it's kind of the one hour shows we ended up on, something like Lost World and and uh, Largo Winch. And uh, and I, I continued my animation work at the same time because by that point in my career, uh, my animation work paid a lot more than my, my live action work. And then my agent, who happened to represent Robert Cooper, who was one of the exec producers on Stargate, told me they're looking for writers. They haven't had much luck, uh, but they want to read you. And so they read us. We were allowed to pitch and we ended up receiving the offer to join SG-1 for the show's fourth season. And I remember at the time I actually had to take a pay cut to join Stargate because uh, the animation world was, you know, just you know, was very kind to me at that point in my career. But I figured really, if there's a time to sort of jump ship, that was it for a show like Stargate. And so we ended up on Stargate and, you know, it was, again, I mean, I, when I look back on my, on, on my career, just kind of the, the industry in general, I think, you know, it's, it's 30% talent, 30% connections and 30% luck. And... um you know, some people have more than you know uh, than than others, in 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 certain degrees. So I
1: guess I was very lucky. I, I do want to comment on your on your point about anim- starting an animation. Again, it's very difficult to you know, to to say let's start here or start. It's very difficult to start mm-hmm. anywhere, as a lot of people know. But. Um, starting animation is such unusual and yet sort of poignant advice. I know so many animation writers who are so talented on the page at, at the clarity in which they write their scene descriptions because they know the animators need to animate it and there's, they don't have an actor interpreting it the way, you know, live action does. And the clarity and specificity for animation, these writers are extremely, extremely talented. And and you would think it would cross over more into the live that they'd be jumping to hire some of these people. And maybe they are now as our worlds are blending close and closer but you made a comment in there a throwaway comment kind of in this last com- uh, uh comment about um feature writing and that it all- had always been a goal of yours and the grass was greener and i noticed mm-hmm. in your very dense imdb there wasn't a lot of feature writing is that something that there's you- no feature writing is that something you feel like you've missed out on or was it a hard bar to cross over i know i was super excited when i sold my first feature for the same reason it's just something you want to do in your yeah
2: career. yeah i mean like very early on in the career or any young writer like i said features are the brass ring but as as so sort of you spend more time in the industry you realize that uh, features are really more of a director's game whereas the power and the money uh, as and the creative freedom for a writer is in television, and and that's sort of what what you know I realize. And I mean, I have friends who who have uh, sold features, worked like some some very big features, and um, more often than not, their experience has not been, shall I say, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, you know, they, they they you know they they're invited on set because I think. Um, you know, guild requirements, uh, uh, but, um, you know, they're not very welcome. Um, they're, um, you know, they don't, they don't feel respected. I mean, I guess this, this is, I mean, just sort of the experience of the handful of writer uh, feature writers I know, whereas again, in television, I think there's more work, there's more opportunity and, um, there's the opportunity to make a lot more money, which is always nice.
0: So when you got the gig on Stargate, when you were in it, did you realise what you had in the sense of, were you sitting there thinking, oh, there's at least 17 years of uh, more to run in this? You know, like, did I it feel something? No, absolutely not. I mean, when we joined for
2: the show's fourth season, we were told we'll do one more season and we would end it with the fifth season. And so the fifth season came along... We wrapped up the storylines, and then the show uh, left Showtime for Sci-Fi, and so we were told we're getting a sixth season. That was a huge surprise, and so we said, "Okay, this is going to be the final season." So we're going to give it our all, and we wrapped up the show. And then, it turns out, the ratings were great, and Sci-Fi wanted to pick it up for a seventh season. So we were like, "Wow, this is you know, unimaginable." So you know, we wrote a terrific series finale um and then we were picked up for an eighth season and and so on and so on and then we got the spin off and and i have to say every year specifically on sg1 those years, seasons four through nine were always like we just a complete surprise uh until season 10 and when we got the season 10 pickup and at that point we were producing Strug at atlantis at the time it's just bonkers when i think back that we used to uh produce 40 hours of television, uh, a, a year back then. And, um, in my mind at that point I thought, well, you know, just we were such a well oiled machine and the sci-fi Friday lineup is doing so well for sci-fi, uh, they'd be crazy to, to cancel us. So that was a one season, uh, you know, season 10, I, I finally assumed we would be back for an eleven season. And that was the season we were canceled. Uh, <laughs> although we were almost saved by Apple. Who uh, at the time um, were exploring the possibility of getting into television, and they thought that saving SG One uh, would be a, a wonderful, you know, way of doing that. But unfortunately, because of a clause in our, you know, the MGM contract with Sci-Fi, um, we weren't allowed to take it anywhere, or s- essentially, Sci-Fi exercised that option,
0: preventing us from uh, saving the show. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, it's. We've had a couple of guests on who have been on long-running shows and then got off them because mm-hmm. they were worried that it was becoming. I think one put it. It was not too easy, but it was. It wasn't a, a challenge as a writer anymore. So we had somebody will talk about when they left a uh, Law yeah. and Order, and somebody who I'm trying to think what the other show was. They but they left it for it was a it was a procedural. And I guess for you, was there a time where you thought, even though money's great, it's long running, where you thought, I need to escape because I want to try something different? There was never... I mean, creatively, it
2: was always a challenge because, especially in the case of SG-1 and even Atlantis, um, it was was less serialized and more episodic. And so each episode had a beginning, middle, and end. And in terms of... um, Storytelling, you could you could do anything you wanted. You could do a hard sci-fi story. You could do like a horror story. You could do something that delved into fantasy. You could do something uh, that was more mytho- mythologically based. You could do kind of the uh, uh, offbeat uh, humorous episodes. I mean, those were all, always a lot of fun. I mean, uh, over like 300 hours of uh, of uh, Stargate franchise, our uh, time loop episode ended up being the fan favorite, which still kind of surprises me. Um, but from a creative standpoint, it, it was, it, you know, I, it, I, it was a great experience. So I mean, I, I never felt uh, that we weren't being challenged in that respect. Uh, in terms of the uh, the mood, the atmosphere, it was an incredibly supportive atmosphere. It, it was it was it was very positive. Brad and Robert, who were the the co-showrunners, were really good about inviting us in and, and you know, kind of showing us the ropes. We we sat around editing very early. We, we sat in on all the concept meetings to the point where, you know, by the end of our run, uh, you know, the writer's room was made up of essentially we're all the kind of de facto showrunners. We're all running our own episodes from start to finish. Um, so, you know, and I mean, of course there are, there are times when, you know, after a certain number of years, you, you start thinking about, oh, you know, uh, you know, maybe I should think about um, you know pursuing another show, or you begin to feel kind of uh, uh, underappreciated. And I remember one of one of the writers who was there with us for a couple of years. Um, he basically just kind of he he's he kind of been kind of a, uh, an old hand and had been in the business for a while, and he just kind of shook his head. Is like, you ride this train until it hits the station. You do not want to get off. Uh, trust me. And you know, I took those words to heart, and so we ran. You know, we, we we took that train and rode it to the end of the station. I'm glad we did. I mean, it was a great experience. And, uh, you know, like I said, it was, uh, I'm not sure if it's atypical of the business, but we ended up landing on a show I will not uh, name, where it's the exact opposite. Um, um, ill-prepared people kind of throwing each other under the bus, um, lying, which totally took us by surprise. Uh, And frankly, I I have to admit, I I went in kind of naive because of my experience on on Stargate. That was so positive where really everyone was, you know, very supportive. And and I mean, a lot of it had to do with Brad and Robert because I joined in season four. But at that point, they had kind of worked out all the uh, all the bugs. Uh, And so, you know, it was a production that was, uh, I would say, a very unpleasant experience for me. And um, they kind of ate us alive. Uh, But I learned a lot from it so that when I set up Dark Matter, I uh, made sure that it kind of, you know, followed the Stargate mold and that it was a positive work environment. Uh, We were always prepared and um,
0: we kind of didn't take shit from anyone. So I was going to ask you a question about writing on a show for that long and and the fans, but because this is a rejection and failure podcast and you've just talked about a difficult show I'm not going to obviously ask you the name of the show but I'd yeah, like please. to talk a bit more about that experience yes though. so and and more importantly actually the transition from being in a bad place and then using that for when you're in charge in your next room so you know you said it was ill-prepared tell us a bit more about what was you know what how quickly you realized it you know wasn't a great work environment and the sorts of things that went on there and what you learned from that yeah, i mean it started off wonderful they you know there
2: was there were these huge press releases that talked about how much money the show had and and uh um and then we started kind of reading the scripts and and it's you know even though we were reportedly had so much money uh the scripts that that had been written it, it was part of a co-production and, and apparently should have been developed 14 months prior to our landing on the show uh and uh the, the scripts were unproducible and the european broadcasters that signed off on it and said these scripts are great and these are the scripts we're shooting and uh suddenly it was my job to tell them actually no you don't have enough money to 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 you know uh produce these episodes uh and they kind of pushed back and were kind of angry so basically right from the beginning uh you know that, that kind of soured our, our relationship uh what came as kind of a bigger surprise was that um the money that that they were publicly saying we had that I assumed we had uh, was a lie. It was actually far, far less, and um, it, it, it was really tough because we were actually dealing with four broadcasters, uh, two of whom wanted two completely different shows, like tonally different shows. One wanted kind of a kind of a fun, kind of family uh, romp, while the other one wanted a dark, uh, action-driven uh, series and uh and they would never get on the same page, and we just kind of found ourselves trying to uh you know in my in 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 my case, trying to do the very Canadian thing and find sort of a compromise solution uh and again, like I'll say, they hate us a lot they um you know we uh, uh um we were you know you know staying up nights late you know doing rewrites after rewrites after rewrites um. Uh, I remember sort of the, the um, uh, our transport team quit uh, before we even started production. The um, electrical group, uh, the grips quit, uh, I think a couple of weeks into production. Um, it was just a, kind of a really nightmare scenario. And I remember my writing partner was just going crazy and, and he was having a miserable time. But I, I'd reached the point, kind of a no return, if you will. So where you were like, you know, this is this is terrible. And I told him like, look, basically, um, it's a terrible situation we're in. But we gotta kind of, you know, we'll 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 push through. Um, the worst thing that can happen isn't that we're forced off the show. The worst thing that can happen is that we have they keep us on for the duration of our, our contractual obligation. Um, which did not ha- did not happen, but we ended up being forced off the show and, and, uh, because we had reached a point sort of where it just, it, you know, it, we kind of had to put our foot down and, uh, uh, just from a production standpoint, things were, were not making sense. So we were forced off the show and they brought in another showrunner, uh, who for what I understand, uh, lasted, I think a month and a half and then said he was going on vacation, and the production office ended up finding out that he, had, he had actually bought a one-way ticket and he wasn't coming back. So they lost a the second showrunner, And then a third showrunner came on. And he lasted a couple of months and got through, I think most of the series. And then he got fed up and left. And then I think a fourth showrunner finished, uh, the, uh, the series. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I think that's as bad as, as it gets, but I'm not sure. I mean, I, uh, I'm sure people have had worse experiences
0: when you were in it were you just sitting there thinking this is terrible were you sitting there thinking well i'm gonna learn you know i'm gonna sort of consciously look around and make draw conclusions and learn things that i'm gonna do completely differently in my next room or is it just no at the time i I wasn't really cognizant
2: of of it being a, a powerful learning experience i uh uh, as I said, it was very frustrating, especially at the beginning. But then after a while, it became almost humorous. Um, so while, while my writing partner was, you know, I, I'm not saying necessarily having a na- nervous breakdown, but he was really not not having a good time. Uh, I just kind of found it funny. But but I mean, you find kind of that silver lining or the flashes of uh, uh, of hope within kind of that dark morass. And and that was the people like, I mean, the crew I thought was great. Um, uh one of the other writers, a, a European writer, who came in, who who basically when we we came on board, he'd been with the project for 14 months, and he was instantly suspicious of us, uh, as we were of him. And um, you know, we became such good friends, and uh, you know, I still you know talk to him to this day, and and would love to find something to uh, collaborate with him on. So I mean, you know, you know, as always, uh, I, you know, I think it's kind of the relationships you make while. Making television that uh, that that you know really is that kind of silver lining, no, regardless of what the uh, you know how the production turns out.
1: I want to circle back to something you said a while back ago. It's just a comment on how you commented on how feature writers and TV writers there's such a disparity in power, and I think a lot of people don't fully get that if they're in our industry that we a lot of us do move into this field to be feature writers because you saw you grew up with the academy awards or you saw a movie and you loved it and you want to write a movie and then you get into the industry and you know you don't get invited to set or you get rewritten over and over and over again and you realize on the tv side while there's staffs and there's rewriting going on that the level of power is is so much different um, and I guess the level of heartache can also be different because you're in it longer and kind of leading back into the present. You talk a lot about your your writing partner. Does he or she help you process emotionally um, some of these harder times? And are you guys still together today?
2: Uh, uh, no, actually, we uh, went our separate ways after I would, I would say really Stargate. Um, I mean, we, we were. By by the second half of Stargate, we were writing partners really only on credit only, simply because I tended to write more of the original episodes, and he tended to do more of the uncredited rewrites of other writers, uh, unpaid, uh, uncredited. So you know, out of fairness, we ended up sharing a lot of the on, most of the on-screen credits, uh, and then we landed on you know, uh, Dark Matter ended up going, and and he didn't want to move to the East Coast. Uh, he had family, so I ended up. Show running myself and 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 running the show. And so we haven't really worked together since. And I mean, you know, of course, I mean, not just him, but the other writers as well. There's always, you know, there's a camaraderie, uh, kind of almost like you know, you're heading off to war when you start a production and and you know, you can always kind of lean on them and you know, go out for drinks and and uh and like I said, commiserate. So I mean, you know, certainly having uh other people in the weeds with you was always helpful, just from a kind of a psychological standpoint.
1: Do you think the rules need to change in regards to writing partnerships? Because I know a lot of people who have writing partners, who had writing partners and no longer have writing partners, because if the business is hard for one person to succeed, it's even harder sometimes for two when they have to split everything up.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that that's an interesting question. I've always wondered whether having hiring a writing team was a plus rather than a negative in that you have two voices in the room as opposed to one. Um, I mean, I I guess it would depend on their quote how much they're getting paid. Um, you know, I, I I don't, I generally don't think a, a writing partnership would be, uh, more expensive than hiring a single writer, uh, in terms of quotes. So, I mean, I think that would be a bonus for the production.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing is they do get two writers for the, normally for the cost of one. And then I'm just seeing lately with shorter orders and network TV being a thing of the past or long runs like Stargate being a thing of the past for the most part that these, these writer writing teams have, even if they love each other financially, it doesn't make sense anymore. And they begin to talk about that.
2: Yeah. It doesn't make sense. I I agree with that from a financial standpoint, but also from a career standpoint, after a while, um, you know, I, I remember during Stargate, I would want to sort of go out and, and and do something apart from him. And my agent would say, well, well, you got to write your own pilot now. you got to write your own uh, feature or whatever, because all of your your produced credits are co-writes. Uh, and even though, like I said, I, I, I'd been writing most of the original uh, 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 episodes, I was sharing the credit. So. Um, you know, I, I, I think in some respects having a, uh, a, writing partner does hinder.
1: as we, as we, uh, head into our final question, I have one previous question because you have a lot of experience over a lot of episodes and a lot of shows, you know, what is your very worst Hollywood experience?
2: Uh. Well, I can't say Hollywood, I could say television industry experience, since I do most of my work in, in Canada, although, I mean, I have, you know, been to L.A., um, but the worst Hollywood experience was that that production where it was it just un, unlike anything I ever expected, where uh, people were actively throwing each other under the bus, um... You know, just just because Stargate was so supportive and that th- this other show was not, and I began to wonder whether, you know, at first I thought this 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 production must is so atypical of of, uh, of uh, shows, and then sort of as time went on, I realized actually no, Stargate was the atypical production, and you know, there's a lot of uh, frankly maddening shit that goes on in this industry, and, and you know, it's it's. Obviously, I mean it's it's tougher for for up and coming writers because they will always have to sort of deal with the shit in order, you know, to sort of get at a point in their career when they can create that wonderfully stable, positive uh, production environment.
0: Pretty good. So, look, unfortunately, it is time to wrap, which means asking the final question on this podcast, which is, if you could give a single piece of advice to somebody entering the industry. What would it be? Oh my gosh, man!
2: Yeah, I guess be fearless. I mean, it, 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 you know, it's kind of an odd thing to say, but I mean, I think you have to ask. You have to ask. You have to. reach out to people. You have to not be afraid to, um, you know, approach those, approach those studios. You you have to be, uh, uh, you, you, you can't, you know, second guess yourself when it comes to sort of, uh, giving your agent marching orders. If, if, if something happens that you don't like, you let the people know whether it's your agent, whether it's your line producer, whether, whether it's your broadcast executive, uh, simply because I find that, if you do that early and often, they will respect you for it. And if
0: you don't, uh, they will walk all over you. Yeah, that's a, that's a great piece. Of, you know, This is the 38th time we've asked someone this question, but that's a great, simple, brave piece of advice that probably needs taking in this industry. So Joseph Malozzi, thank you very much for being part of our podcast. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you, Joe. I don't think a lot of people realize just how brave they are when they're coming into this field and how brave they need to continue to be. But they are. We're some of the bravest people. There are the writers, the actors, the directors. So much abuse, so much bravery. Thank you for pointing that out.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to another one of our fantastic episodes. Yet again, I think you'll find that I ask better questions than Noah. Noah, have you got anything to say?
1: Um, As always, uh, since you've done most of the talking, I'm just going to sit here quietly again.
0: Surely there's some people to thank.
1: Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, I would love to thank James Launch for doing all of our outro music. Um, As always, I think we owe a big thank you to both of our wives who support us through this endeavor that started in our basement and seems to be ever growing and if you want to reach out to either dan or i i am at at mn Evselin on twitter i'm not sure dan has a twitter account dan do you have a twitter account
0: i mean i i do but no one cares all they care about is being on noah's podcast and so i well done noah for conceiving producing editing writing and asking the best questions of the two of us because you've done all this work and well done you
1: I do think it's worth pointing out after 33 or so episodes that I do both voices. There actually is no Dan Redstein.